2: What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the half hour intern. The star studded pageantry continues as we embark on part two of the 2015 half hour intern awards. This week we'll be giving out two awards, but I just couldn't whittle it down to only one winner for each award. So we actually have six total winners, three winners for each award. And the awards given out will be most unique career. So the three most unique careers that we've seen over the course of the year and most unique hobby, the three most unique hobbies that we've seen over the course of the year. Really quickly, before we get to the awards, here is another quick little intro montage from some of our favorite intros throughout the year.
3: And at the same time, I was also earning... Your your parents
2: are just sitting there like fingers crossed so much the whole time that you're going to just hate it or fall and break
0: your arm or who knows what. (laughs)
3: For sure. Probably the only time a parent would hope their child to break their arm. (laughs) Definitely.
0: We like to get really geeky in the wine community and talk about this smells like slate, this smells like sandstone, this smells go smell those things. They all smell the same. It's then that's truly coming down to kind of that, how we talk about that and the poetry behind it.
4: I've learned to pare it down. Like, what are we best at? Like, what do we want to be known for? So once we figured that out, I think it's made the business more susceptible to praise because what we're doing is pretty consistent and delicious.
5: I would just be creatively drained at the end of the day. And, um, opening a bottle of wine my dad got me a wine subscription when i turned 21 was like the highlight of my month because it was like this moment when i could forget everything that was going on around me and just get into a bottle of wine and i think that was like the my aha moment my like oh i love wine it's a new sense that i can explore and as an artist sensory experience is how you find art in the world
4: feel like when you get get that it's sort of similar for everyone just being you know it's kind of the human experience like whenever you find out what it is you really want to do and then you go do it like that's that's really i think that's a big part of growing up and becoming an adult
2: just remember that don't be afraid play in traffic like you're you're not you're not you're not part of traffic play play in traffic just totally ignore what your parents told you when you were five years old and just play in traffic All right, on to the awards. So before I get started, I just want to say how difficult awards like these are to pick and to give out. One of the main points of the show is to interview people with pretty unique careers and unique hobbies. So to try to choose the most unique is a little bit of a task. And as a side note... It's very difficult for these awards to, and just in general when making the episodes, to delineate between a career and a hobby, which has been a really big eye-opener for me since I started this podcast. And I think something that is really beautiful and wonderful and nice is the number of people that started their career by having it be a hobby, something that they just absolutely loved and they work it into a career in some way um and it's it's kind of up to my hopefully not terribly misguided judgment to decide what category to put it in i think a really good example of this might be let's say like the fixed gear episode the gentleman that i interviewed interviewed about fixed gear riding as a hobby is absolutely obsessed with fixed-gear bicycles and fixed-gear bike riding. Because of that, he went and got a job at one of the best coffee roasters in Northern California and best coffee shops in Northern California called Bicycle Coffee. Um, They originally founded in Los Angeles. They have a shop up here in Oakland. But Bicycle Coffee delivers all of their coffee to other local businesses from bicycles. So he knew that he could be on his fixed gear bikes all day long, kind of as a career, if he chose to work for Bicycle Coffee. That being said, I chose to put that under the category of hobby because it was a, 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 that's still what he does with it passionately. Um, Similarly, one of the awards that I'll give out tonight will be for a sensory deprivation floating. The gentleman that goes over sensory deprivation floating actually owns a place where you can go do a sensory deprivation float here in the city. But the thing that got him really involved in it and the main thing that we talk about during the episode is just the idea of sensory deprivation floating and why he does it and why he's so obsessed with it. So I think um, an episode where we kind of contextually talk about the why something exists or um, where the passion really lies and stuff like that, a lot of times we'll get moved into the hobby realm. And when we're talking about more of the how to do something, it can get moved into the career realm. So there's a little bit of clarification with some of my thought process um, and on to the actual awards themselves. So first, for most unique career, the three winners, we will have Cat Behavior Consultant. That's the clip that you'll be getting played first. The next will be for Vibe Manager. And the final one will be for tour manager. So each one of the clips, I'm going to play the portion where they're kind of explaining what, what it is that they do for a living. And the tour manager, I'm going to play a second clip as well, which is him talking about the interview process to become a tour manager, because it is absolutely insane what these people have to go through to become a tour manager. So without further ado, here are your three winners for most unique career. So I got to tell you, uh, just a little backstory on this. We have a mutual friend, Soraya, who after I talked to her and told her about my project, she sent me an email with about 10 people that she thought would be interesting, cool ideas of people to interview. And I saw your name with cat behavior therapist next to it. And I almost jumped out of my seat. I flipped out. I was like, oh my God, I have to be able to interview this person. And now we're finally here. This is like right the most on. exciting interview I've ever done yeah. in my entire life. Thanks for thanks for
4: having me. So it's definitely a, a, unique, a unique job and a unique field to be in.
2: So let's start with that for everyone, yeah. which is just what is a cat behavior therapist or a cat behavior consultant?
4: Uh, well, a cat behavior consultant is uh, someone that I guess, well, people hire to help them better interpret their cats uh, or to better understand their cats. Yeah. Uh, so I I think that's, that's my function (laughs) in life. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So somebody has a really terrible cat, are those the only people that contact you as if their cat is horrible or do some people want to just get to know their cat better?
4: Uh, well it ranges. I think the majority of my clients are calling me in crisis mode. I mean the emails I get are like I'm having a cat crisis my, or my cat attacks people or, you know things that are <laughs> really really uh, you know life changing or life altering uh, and because a lot of people have cats in their houses those problems manifest you know in their home lifestyles uh, but I do get people who are just like, I just want to know my cat better. He's not like not a cat that misbehaves, but I just want to get a better gauge on what his needs or are, or if I'm meeting his needs at all. Yeah, those are actually my favorite ones because you can really take your time and really, um, you know, just get through the. Well, if it's not a crisis, it's a lot easier to <laughs> to solve a problem. Yeah, you know, but the crisis ones are definitely um, the higher percentage of the calls I get and emails.
2: What? The heck is a vibe manager. I guess what like what do you consider being a vibe manager? And then start talking to us a little bit about what you actually do.
5: Yeah, so um I a vibe manager, I guess, is a slightly unconventional job title for someone who comes into a company and really just tries to elevate the vibration within the space as much as possible. So for me, that's a couple different elements. It's about designing a space. So a lot of the work I do is to create. Uh, offices for these companies that really are beautiful and functional and really fun to be in. It's also about um, working with the teams that are managing these spaces, right? Making sure that the office management side of things is really um, a good service-oriented team that actually loves to do what they do and take care of people. And then there's also things like food and bringing in yoga classes and lots of other things around wellness. Also working to create really great parties and celebration events and kind of keep cultural events happening within the companies, That's especially as they grow. So it
2: sounds like, yeah, it sounds like you do like freaking everything. I, <laughs> like I knew from talking to you before that there was a big, um, this is going to be the wrong way to put it, but like an architecture, like feng shui part of it of just like actually structuring the office, but you're diving quite a bit deeper than that, it sounds like when you're trying to determine the the correct layout
5: yeah i mean definitely creating the best place for people to play and work in is the most important part but it's also making sure that people understand and are using it to the best that they can and are enjoying their time while they're at work really
2: yeah so what i mean like what are the types of meetings that you're having with the heads of these companies in order to try to find out like like you said like Food, maybe adding yoga to the office. Yeah. What types of mindset we're trying to get these people in when they're coming to and from work?
5: Yeah. So when I'm meeting with the, like the top, like the founders, I really am trying to get the vision for really about the product and what they, why they started the company and where the company is going and how they imagine that to materialize into the physical space. Um, but really more than individual meetings, I actually am present in the workspace and I watch people really closely. So I'm really watching how people interact and where and, and when they meet and which kind of conversations they're having. Um, so a lot of it is actually I'm almost like a detective kind of sitting in and just observing the culture of the company and seeing how people act
2: let's start out with i think the most important question first every time i'm speaking to you and i call you a tour guide you get so angry and say it's a tour manager man it's a tour manager not a tour guide why is that why do you not like the name tour guide
6: well it's not like i don't like the name tour guide is that um in the position that i'm in we already have tour guides so tour guides local guides or cultural guides and they're responsible for giving information about the area. Now, my job is a little bit different in the sense that, you know, me being the trip manager or the tour manager, I'm there to um, to organize and manage the whole trip as a whole, like logistics and getting people from A to B and, and things like that. So, it I just want to have like that a different. You're
2: expected te- to know things about a lot of the areas that you go to. I assume.
6: Yes, I do. So what we say is that uh, me, I know. A little bit about a lot and our guides know a lot about a little bit
2: now what is the interview process like how do you nail an interview like that do they make you do a, a tour
6: yeah so um how it works is i send in my resume and, and my cover letter etc um they shortlist your um thoughtless people on their resumes and you know how it looks and see if the people will suit so i guess that my background being a teacher and being around people and things like that may have stood out a little bit now with the interview process they send you a topic and the topic um is a topic about asia so it can vary from the vietnam war to pandas to the great wall of china and you have to do a three-minute speech on that topic so that is the first stage um, of the interview. So you fly down. It's a group interview. So you'll be doing your speech in front of other people. Once you've done that speech, you have group activities. So they'll give you a task, or they'll give you a random topic for you to talk about. And they want to, s- and they want you to see how you work and and cont- contribute to you know a, a sort of a group activity. Uh, from there, uh, that takes about three hours. Now, from there, they um, give you and phone number to ring. And they say, at this time, you ring this phone number and say your name, and they'll either give you a yes with an interview time or a no and no questions asked. No, so way. yeah, that's so, very
2: um, uh, like the Bachelor with like getting a rose or something like that.
6: You know? <laughs> oh, I definitely felt like it. Uh, so I call up the number, and so I'm calling it up, and I'm like, "Hey, this is Suki." And they were like, Hasuki, yes, 2.30. and that was it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's honestly incredible. It sounds like you're
2: trying to become a member of some secret society or
6: something. <laughs> yeah, and I felt like a secret agent. It was it's it crazy. Yeah, and uh, so I had the private interview with three of weeks. Wait, the wait, heads what, of the so company. what is that feeling like when
2: when you get when you hear like yes, two thirty? Like, what's
6: going through your head? Um, I was really nervous making that phone call because it was such a bizarre, um, you know, experience. You know, there's a number you get. If you get a no, that's it. No questions asked. So, you know, I was just you just wait there. You literally just sit there and wait for the time to come for you to ring. And um, you know, it felt great. I, I rang up and I was a bit nervous. I said my name. They gave me a time, and I was like, okay, I've, I've got an interview. And the that private interview or the one on one, I should say, is on the same day so you're spending this whole day just waiting around
2: wow that's crazy so then obviously you nail the interview um and is that it then you you just get the job
6: no and then uh from there you have an assignment so they um send you all the cities that you'll possibly be going to and then a bunch of things you have to know about these cities so um you know me been going to uni. I'm like, you know, assignment. That's going to be pretty easy. But this was a legitimate assignment. Like my one was about 170, 180 pages long. And this is just for like all the like all the cities, what's what's going on in these places, some of the things to do, and um, cultural stuff. And you know, it was I took me a while to get through it. Now once you pass. Well, once they think that you're up to standard with your assignment, now you get s- flown to Bangkok. So you get flown to Asia where your training starts. And um, once you make training, you you run through a tour that's not, you're not actually um, taking part in the tour, but you're running through the stages of it. And you're still not guaranteed a job yet. So there were people there that have quit their jobs, moved out of their houses, sold their houses, you know, taking a huge leap of faith and making a huge risk, um, taking a huge risk, I should say, and, you know, it's not everyone gets a job at the end of the day.
2: So it's this group setting. So you and several other people who are wanting the same jobs have all shown up um, in Thailand to go through this same kind of fake tour process?
6: Yeah. It's just like The Amazing Race slash The Apprentice. <laughs> it's like, a, lot of, a lot of good reality TV. I know. I really like. They, they. I think they should actually film it because sometimes I'll come down to the lobby and you know I'll see one of the one of the members or one of the group members just crying and I'm I'll go up and be like, hey, what's up? Are you okay? And they'll be saying, I've just got asked to leave. No and,
2: way! That is just and, like The Apprentice.
6: But that's it. And every day you have your challenges and your know, things that you need to do. They got to a stage where they had to put a curfew on. Because people weren't sleeping because they were so stressed out and they were trying to do as much work as they can with the time that they had. So of course. they put they put a curfew in a, at midnight. Um so people would go to bed at midnight but then set an alarm to wake up at three AM.
2: To study. So I mean just, just like study. a really hard college course or something. Yeah. So just... now what happens if you get voted off, as it were? I mean, do you still continue on to the end of the trip or how does that work?
6: No, it's it's see you later see you later they get um you get left where you are left <laughs> oh
2: my. that sounds like probably the most soul crushing experience that anyone could ever go through i couldn't even admit like in a country that you don't know that well in a city that you don't know just being left
6: oh i just i really felt for them because a lot of people these people really want the job because you know as you said at the beginning like you know this is a dream job you know especially for a younger person you know there's not much stability but you get to travel the world and as you said meet amazing people and like yourself like how i met you and um getting paid to do it you know it's it's definitely one of the the best jobs that i can imagine people having so people really wanted it and obviously you'd be really disappointed when it doesn't go your way
2: Man, every time I hear that story, it just really gets to me. I can't imagine just getting stranded in a foreign country where you didn't know the language, also knowing that you didn't just get the job that you quit the whole rest of your life to go after. That would just be brutal. Um, All right, on to most unique hobby. So the three winners for the most unique hobby category are Neighborhood Blogger. Um, During the Neighborhood Blogger clip, it's actually not going to be a clip of him really explaining what um, being a Neighborhood Blogger. Blogger is or anything like that. It's he explains what how how being a neighborhood blogger has kind of changed his life in the neighborhood and changed his experience of the neighborhood. Because I thought that that was kind of the most important and relevant clip. Um, the next clip is going to be the sensory sensory deprivation floating clip, and then finally we will have base jumping, um, which was from the skydiving and base jumping episode. So without further ado, here are your winners for most unique hobby. I guess, how has your life changed since you started doing this and how has your life as a citizen of Bernal and life as a resident of San Francisco changed since you decided to start doing this?
1: That's a fantastic question because, uh, uh, there's, it's changed so much that I don't even notice that it's changed, (laughs) which, which is to say, like, there's a whole group of people who I know in my neighborhood, uh, who, uh, I know well enough now that I forget that I wouldn't have known them if I didn't uh, – hadn't done Burnalwood. They're just my friends. Yeah. And uh, they're my community. Um, and you know, we feel like we have a nice history together, like I said, that it goes far enough back that I, I literally forget that if I hadn't done Burnalwood, we, I would not know this person at all. Yeah. And I probably have two or three dozen people like that that I would consider you know great friends that uh, – you know, if I hadn't done Merlewood, we would have never met. Yeah. And uh, so there's that, which is amazing. Um, uh, there's also just like the ability to walk through the neighborhood, which I do, and you just see it in like 4D. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. You know, like you just sort of see everything. And you kind of – You just know what's
2: going you on. You know what's
1: <laughs> – yeah, you kind of feel like you know what's going on there you know, on some level. Sometimes it's, it's very personal and I know what that house Sometimes it's historical. You know, sometimes, you know, yeah. I know what used to be here. Uh, sometimes it's infrastructural. I know that that hill, you know, has, was excavated, you know, what, there's all these levels of just information that's layered into the geography of the place that I experience, which is super fun. Yeah. Uh, so you just feel really connected to uh, what it, what it was and what it is yeah. and what it's becoming. And that's a pretty cool experience as well.
3: Floating, um, basically, there's a we have pods. Um, it comes in a couple different forms, but um, basically, it's a foot of water, and there's a thousand pounds of Epsom salt dissolved in it, so it's super buoyant. And you get in on your back, and you just float effortlessly. Mm-hmm. And it's the exact same temperature as your skin. So once you're settled, you don't even feel where your body ends and when the water starts. Your whole body just like melts away and you hit the light button. It's completely dark. So you open your eyes, you close your eyes. It's the exact same sensation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thanks to you, I got to experience that sensation this morning and it's so, I, I feel like for those of us that most likely aren't going to go to outer space in our lifetime, although who knows what the SpaceX project and stuff like that, maybe we will, but it's like the closest thing that we'll ever experience to being in outer space. You have this complete lack of light, complete lack of sense of where you end, and nothing else really begins and it's a very i mean that's why, I guess why they call it sensory deprivation floating. You have, can't hear, you can't feel, you can't mm-hmm. see.
3: Yeah, I mean, everyone has wished they were in the, you know in outer space floating around. oh, it looks so cool, they'll just be weightless. Well, you can do it. So, so base jumping is one of those, you know, there's very few people in the world, I
0: guess, that skydive and, and out of the group of people that skydive, a small percentage are maybe dumb enough to go on and start base jumping. Uh, It was one of those things where I always told myself I was never going to base jump. Um, I just couldn't imagine um, only having, you know, I used to say myself, I can't imagine only having one parachute and being so low to the ground and and depending on that one parachute. Um, but the more I was skydiving and the more I was around the, the, uh, the atmosphere and the culture of both skydiving, base jumping, um, at about 250 jumps mentally, I just, it, it was something that I realized I could do and that I wanted to do. Um, so I got into it. Uh, basically I, uh, there's one legal place in the country that you can jump. It's at the Perrine bridge. It's out in twin falls, Idaho. So, um, I called up, uh, one of the manufacturers apex they have a first jump course out there and i went out with a good friend of mine and one weekend and uh we did the first jump course and made five jumps from the bridge and um how high abs- up
2: is this bridge how high up do you need to be
0: uh, the bridge is 486 feet
2: okay that, wow i can't believe that's it i thought you were gonna say like 2,000 feet in the air or something uh, no
0: it's uh it's 486 feet and um You basically take a two three second delay, pull your chute, and and you're open, and then you fly over to the landing area and land. And it is um, it is the most amazing feeling in the world. Um, It's more of it's more of a rush than skydiving. It's it's you know your your life's on the line, Um, and you look down and you see that water below you. Yeah, and you you really have a. I mean, you're having a talk with yourself of Is this what you want to do? Do you really want to do this? And uh, in the end, I just knew it was something that. I loved so much, I couldn't get away from the rush. I, I couldn't get away from that feeling of walking out on that bridge and climbing over and, and, and making that, in a sense, leap of faith.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very literally. So, if okay, first of all, what happened? So why is there only one parachute? Is that just because of how much time there is? There's no time to switch to a reserve parachute? or
0: Yeah, correct. You're, you're so low to the ground um, that uh, there's really... There's no need for it, and um, you, you don't have time to deploy a reserve. Yeah. So you have that, you have that one parachute, um, and uh, it's got to work.
2: Yeah. So how long is the window of time that you have to pull your parachute and for it to open effectively?
0: I believe they say you have to make a move for your parachute in, well, about five seconds or in the bridge you're, you're going in. Uh, the longest, I usually take about a two, three second delay. Um, and then make the move for my uh, for my handle to pull
2: so this is the okay i <laughs> so this takes me back to when I was um in like early high school, and I was going to kiss a girl for the first time, <laughs> and I was always so worried that I was going to like bump her teeth or something, like, you right. know like things that uh, you know th- that you would never normally do, but then you maybe because your nerves are so high that you know you' that 's going to happen i i would only imagine that you have this great fear of going to pull your cord and your hand fumbles and misses it and you only have like two more seconds left now to pull it correctly does that happen
0: yeah that absolutely terrified me when i first started i i I was like what if i slip you know and and i've slipped before in skydiving but when you're at four thousand feet in skydiving you have all the time in the world you know If if you miss your handle you can go for it a second time um and i just it terrified me um but when you start base jumping, you really have your what's called a pilot chute, and that um, once you throw that, that really catches air and then pulls your main parachute out. Um, so when you first start base jumping, you actually have your pilot chute out already into the wind. So it's really just a jump and throw. Um, but yeah, there's a process of, of of mentally and physically being able to. Like okay, I, I can jump off this thing and, and maintain composure enough to pull my parachute.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And when it comes down to it, you don't have a choice. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you have down. to. There's no, there's no second chance in base jumping. And um, I think that's what mentally drives me to love base jumping. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that, it's that conquering that mental fear. Um, and I've learned a lot about myself over the years about how I, I, I stay, I stay composed when, you know. Um, My life's on the line, and and I like that. I like that mental challenge.
2: There you have it, the most unique hobbies. That will do it for part two of the 2015 Half Hour Intern Awards. Hopefully, you guys have liked my selections thus far. I'm thinking next year I'm going to do this as a more democratic voting process. Because, man, I do not like the pressure of having to choose these things myself. I could use some help. Um, Next week, we will be giving out the final award for the kind of most passionate about their job and most passionate about their hobby and on monday we will be releasing an all new episode and that uh is just a really fun really cool one that i think probably a lot of us i I know i did um, wanted a job kind of related to this when we were a kid so um, be on the lookout for that on monday thanks so much